0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 upfront for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Welcome to episode eight of The Story Studio with your
3: hosts, Luke Condor and Daniel Wilcox. Oh yeah. Here we go. Check it out now.
2: Welcome to The Story Studio, a podcast where an independent publishing company explores the world of self-publishing, independent art, and the future of storytelling. To show for filmmakers, writers, comic book makers, crowd funders, entrepreneurs, creators, and anyone who can tell stories in the modern world. I am Luke Condor with a K, and I'm joined by
0: Daniel Wilcox
2: and our guest, John Locke. Hello, <laughs> John Locke, one of the guys from Big Punch Studios. How's it going?
3: Uh, it's going really well. Thank you. Um, hello to you both. Uh, and this is really the highlight of my day. This is wonderful.
2: Oh, that's, Fantastic. That's good to hear. How's the, uh, how's the creating going, guys? Anyone anyway, working on anything at the minute? Is this an open question? Open uh, question. Yeah, take, take it away
3: uh well we are uh, oh, flipping neck where to where to begin uh we've just uh we've just wrapped up issue seven of bpm which is a uh quarterly magazine we put out uh kind of like a comics anthology and yeah incredibly we're coming up on two years of having done this now we you know they, when we said we were doing it they laughed but somehow we've uh, <laughs> we've made it through nearly two years and yeah that's just gone to print this week like a a well-oiled machine kind of now it only took us seven issues and <laughs> this is kind of weird like there was a time when um the idea of even making one comic was like a dream for me and now it's not i don't know it sounds weird like we were talking about this the other day it's not that it's anti-climactic now mm. it's just like oh we've done another issue you know yeah. it, it's, it's weird like every issue is wonderful and we love it to bits but as soon as it's done we have to think about the next one are, so, you, are you searching for the next high that's a problem and you have to keep escalating because it's like it never it never hits that immediate uh, the initial excitement but no it's we're really proud of it and just uh yeah but but just you know the wheel keeps on turning and we've got to you know we've just got to get ready for the next project so that's good we're expecting that back from the printer probably start next week actually
2: i definitely want to delve into that a bit more because you have, I, I actually love your magazine, and I and uh, I love your Patreon campaign. So, and we, we would like to do something similar, but we just haven't made it work yet. So we haven't quite
0: cracked Patreon though. No Oh well, John, tell me. You want
3: to say it? Look, uh, I could. Um, yeah, please, uh, if I can, if I can talk wax lyrical about that, I'd love to, because I don't think we, you know, if you look at the grand scheme of things, I don't think we've cracked it anyway. It's <laughs> it's a fascinating, bizarre, wondrous little thing, and yeah, I'd love to have a
2: discussion about it. Great, great. Dan, how's the uh how's the novel writing going? Yeah, it's going
0: well. We um <clears throat> coming up to the end now of Project Lazarus and originally when we planned them, we were heading for about fifty thousand words for the novel. Um and looking to finish was the deadline that we set Sunday the eighteenth, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah.
0: Yeah, so we're kind of coming up to that now and we were settling more I'm just about to hit seventy thousand words on this book, um which has Taken a de- definitely a different shape to what I was originally going for, but um, I've kind of just today <clears throat> managed to squeeze in three and a half thousand words. Um, Jesus, well, I've had a bit of a crap week, word wise,
3: to be honest, sort of 500 words a day, which I know is good for some, but for it, it's letting myself down. Do you um, find uh I mean, I'm talking to a proper writer now, you know, like pure prose, you know, none, none of this pictures monarchy, but <laughs> do you find like um much like I was saying like oh, you know, we've got another issue out. That's old hat now. Do you find oh man, I've hit 70,000 words. You know, there's a you kind of you forget what it was like for about one part of your life where maybe getting a thousand words done would have been incredible. And now it's like oh, 70,000 words, it's nothing. Got to keep yeah, going. Yeah, it's,
0: yeah. It's a weird transition because I think we we have spoken briefly um in, in a previous episode about the uh yeah transition between working on your word counts and how to make them bigger and yeah definitely i think uh what we're in now we're in september in february i think it was or march i hit eighty thousand words of uh the first draft of a different novel and i remember that feeling of oh my god this is amazing i've hit you know 80 000 it's like absolutely insane and now yeah i'm coming up to seventy thousand words just going yeah book's nearly done and it's yeah it's definitely it's definitely a different feeling but i i think it's nice because it feels more comfortable knowing that you can reach it Mm. and that it's i guess it's almost yeah it's comfortable in it not being as special anymore i guess
2: yeah you've got to like you've got to try and balance that excitement with the challenge of the next thing whilst Mm. trying to remain grateful for the fact that you're able to do that thing does that make sense
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's actually um, a word that I came across uh, a couple of weeks ago, which sums it up perfectly, and I think it actually sums up my personality. Um, Have you guys heard of hedonistic adaptation? No, No. I
2: haven't. No, no.
0: So I I think their first album. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I think I think it goes for a lot of creatives where hedonistic adaptation basically means that you ride a high, and then you adapt to that high very quickly, and it becomes the norm, and then it's nothing anymore. And then you are looking for that next thing. But that's a
3: weird thing. I mean, I've often felt he said, putting on his pretentious hat now, but I've often felt that like, um, you know, when you have these ideas in your head and you're like, oh, for, you know, I for the longest time had these ideas and I never did anything about them, but I was always kind of, you know, thinking about doing them. And in my head they're this, you know, wonderful uh, kind of a perfect unobtainable thing. But then the moment you start making it a reality like the moment you start forcing yourself and you're training your brain like a muscle or you're training your willpower and you say i'm going to sit down today i'm going to do 500 works i'm going to do 500 works and it's weird because you can't help but lose just a tiny bit of the magic which is simply the act of Mm. taking it out of your brain where it will forever be perfect and unobtainable and flawless and and exposing it to the world and then you find the flaws you find the things you have to fix you get knackered because you're doing a thousand words a day for like eight months or something like that and (laughs) and it's like or whatever (laughs) you know whatever is a realistic word target but you know it's interesting yeah and it's like everything we're saying like it's it becomes a point where it is if not a job like a a livelihood you you are Mm. just writing constantly and you forget how kind of amazing that is in a weird way. At least when someone comes along and goes, you've written a book. Or like, you know, you've, even if you've written a short story, you've written a chapter, a great paragraph. That's, that's kind of incredible. And you get these moments where you stop and you think, yeah. yeah, Actually, that is kind of incredible. Yeah, sometimes, yeah you need,
2: sometimes you need someone else to remind you of that. I remember when I started making films and stuff a while ago, and I remember like sending scripts around and no one would read them and no one really cared. And I was feeling a bit down about it. And I remember thinking, how cool would it be if someone emailed me after seeing a film and and would have said that they would have enjoyed it. And then um, the first time that happened, I was like, like, I was amazed. I was so joyful that it happened. And then the two years later down the line, I was like working on some more stuff. I was a bit more well-known. And I got the same sort of email from someone else. And I instantly just sort of moved on and sort of moved past it. And then my, go- my girlfriend, my fiancé now, said, you know, two years ago, you would have been so happy about that but like you just don't you don't appreciate it anymore yeah i think um sorry
0: i know i was just going to say it's a, it's a strange um sensation i still get it sometimes with driving which i know is obviously different but when i was learning to drive i lived uh, i grew up in well around cambridge here out in the middle of the fens and it was sort of 25 miles to to my friend's house so when i learned to drive that was awesome that was the best feeling i could have that that feeling of freedom and moving about I sometimes get it now where I'll be driving along and go, "This is a bit boring." Hold on, like you, you were, you were killing yourself for this kind of freedom, and then you just take it for granted now. Yeah, I was thinking
3: about that just the other day. It was so mm-hmm. weird. I, I remember like a vividly, vividly when I was a very young lad, I thought, "I couldn't wait to drive because this walking around is the <laughs> mugs." Like I want to, I want to <laughs> propel myself with no effort, and it yes. seems so magical. And now it's just like, "Oh yeah, the car." yeah you know just so i'm on. tired of feet now give me wheels <laughs> yeah you know i and I guess it's chasing that high like it would have to it would have to be like learning to fly a plane or something and then the moment you learn to fly a plane you'd be like oh it's a bit
0: that magic does go because you know flying a plane something substantial that's crazy do you yeah. reckon there are pilots it's just like oh i'm in a plane again
3: <laughs> uh, 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 it's weird it's it's weird isn't it because it's like it's one of our greatest strengths and weaknesses as a species that we can adapt to things. You know, it's like if uh, if something terrible happens to you, if you have like a terrible sadness, it's like you should, you know, feeling it is important because you feel it and you're acknowledging that loss or that pain or whatever bad ha- thing happened to you, but it will heal. This is a horrible yeah. thing. You know, you think like, I, I feel bad now, but I will feel better. And then with every moment that you feel better and as time passes, that terrible thing fades, and you think oh but i want to hang on to it i want to in a weird way i want to honor that bad thing and it's the same with good things as well yeah because if 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 uh, if the sheer joy of say to bring it back to writing if the sheer joy of finishing a chapter filled you with the most tremendous energy that you had to run around the block every time you did it You'd never get any work done. So your brain, almost as a defense mechanism, scabs over <laughs> and says, <laughs> you know, yeah, this is incredible. Like every sentence I get on the page is like a mini miracle. But no, I'm just not going to think about it. I'm just going gonna... to... I can't. It's like a survival mechanism. I can't think about how cool it is. Oh, this see... is getting deep. It's
2: blowing my this brain. Deep. Sorry, yeah. yeah
3: I've, I've only had like two <laughs> <copies today. laughs>
2: It reminds me of when you, like, when you give a dog a toy <laughs> and then and then wait till they've sort of gotten used to it, and they've dropped on the floor, and then try to take the toy away. They suddenly become—they suddenly realise what they're missing out on now. Yes. Or to take a phone, away, like an iPhone, away from someone now to make them realise how, I'm like a teenager. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. I, uh,
3: I, uh, sorry. One last little, just thinking about the perspective thing. I remember, uh, I think it was in like 2012, and it was the first time I'd ever gone to Kapow Comic Con. And it's actually the last time I ever went to Kapow Comic-Con because it was a short-lived show. Uh, but I remember I'd gone down the day before. I was I'd uh, I crashed in my dad's apartment. So I was sitting in this apartment all on my own. He wasn't there. And I had this box of books with me. And it was I had two books at this point. And I was very excited about it. Or maybe it was 2013. Anyway, long story short, I'm sitting there alone in this apartment. All I've got to do is get a night's sleep and then get on a train very early in the morning and I go to a corner shop and I buy a couple of, you know, a little four pack of beers. So it's very, you know, it's very sad. I'm sitting alone in an apartment drinking beer, kind of looking at these books. And it took the alcohol blood content of two beers for me to realize how cool it was that I'd made two books. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? Like I'd, I've i got so kind of everyday about it. I would mm. never even stopped to smell the roses and even stopped to think, oh, yeah, this is cool, you know, yeah. and about and yeah it probably looks so pathetic from the outside like me just kind of like kneeling surrounded by paper <laughs> that's
2: a great cams. advert
0: for the next beer commercial yeah yeah just a creative <laughs> sat there just honoring his books by being completely inebriated <laughs>
2: Weeping. wearing like a, a a faux tunic kind of sewn, sewn together out of tape and versos i, I think in honesty, i think it is very important to celebrate your wins as much as possible like we do take it for granted. When you do it, when you publish your book for the second time, it's not as big a thing. So you need to take the moment to reflect and just smile at your own work. You've got to.
0: Yeah,
2: 100%. Cool. Go, you would, yeah. So, <laughs> sorry, just to move things along. Um, we need to do our big whoops for the week. What a wow. big whoop. So, Dan, do you want to go first or should we make our guests yeah, go yeah, first? Yeah, yeah,
0: sure. I can, yeah, I can right take on? it unless John wants to go first. No, no, please, please. <laughs> awesome, okay. So I um, finally got round this week to playing Uncharted 4, which I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the series, the Uncharted series? Uh,
3: I, I know many people who are who love it.
2: I'm the same as John. Yeah. I've, I've
3: seen the trailers. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so the kind of
0: sum up that I give people is it's kind of like a male Tomb Raider, but I uh, when I've bought my PS3 in, well, years ago uh, uncharted 2 was one of the free games that came with it and it was one of those that i gave it a bit of a chance and thought you know it's going to be all right I'll, I'll see what it's all about because i was never that crazed on that type of game um and was just blown away by the story the movements how advanced it was at the time for a ps3 game um and then a couple of years later uncharted 3 came out and blew that out of the water and was absolutely incredible um and yeah uncharted 4 came out a couple of months ago and i've been meaning to play it since just because it's one of the first games in I think since The Last of Us, it's got like 10 out of 10 in most of its reviews. And I've I'm played about two hours of gameplay it, and I can so see why it's got 10 out of 10 reviews. It is, oh, it's visually magnificent. And I don't use that word a lot. That's not a damn word. It, <laughs> visually, it is absolutely beautiful, and it has a really nice balance of um, actual gameplay and story the story in it is so rich and it's so um because it's the final one in the season it's the final or in the series the final one they're doing they've paid a lot of attention to nostalgia and to bringing about this whole feeling that they're wrapping it up and it's yeah just i i've, I've kind of been blown away by it and there are so many nice touches in there because it's like um i don't want to spoil things for people but they have got really cool easter eggs because it's a naughty dog production and they've done some other bits here and there and
2: i, I did see I think it'd be fine to spoil it, Dan. Um, yeah? Are you talking about a Crash Bandicoot? Oh, yeah, I was
0: going to ask about the Crash
2: Bandicoot. Yeah, I saw, someone oh, talk, I saw something about it. It looked really cool.
0: Yeah, I had no idea that was going to be a thing. And it's quite early on in the game, but it's um, the main character, Nathan, and uh, a character called Eleanor, and they're having a bit of a, you know, a lover's discussion, shall we say. And it's like, oh, will you do the dishes? I'll bet you this. And you suddenly are plunged into this level on Crash Bandicoot. And I was sat there going this is amazing if my, <laughs> if my eight-year-old self could see this um but yeah I've, I've still got a lot to play on it but it's just one of the most visually appealing story-wise it's blows everything else i've played out of the water and i'm looking forward to seeing where else it goes with it
2: it's kind of sad that that's the last one in the series because you don't often get uh game characters that iconic anymore do you know what i mean so there isn't many more nathan drakes or Lara crofts or crash bandicoots anymore or oh, it doesn't seem to be that way
3: i know what i mean. mean like uh you know that guy is my favorite <laughs> character you know the uh caucasian with the short brown hair and a uh, big gun and power armor i love that guy it's a very game of thrones effect isn't it
0: it's you know that show that part with you know the character with the beard and he, and he talks <laughs> to the girl i don't think anyone knows more than two character names in game of thrones it's probably, that's, that's
3: probably a defense mechanism. You don't want to get too attached. Yeah, oh, no. <laughs>
2: oh. but yeah that's uh, my big one. Great. Uh, John, how about you? Uh,
3: well, um, this is unplanned. I'm hoping between the three of us, we might be able to get like all main forms of media. But if, you, if um, this is ridiculous, I'm about to hold up a book uh, on a podcast, which is not uh, uh, <laughs> amazingly visual medium. Um, but no, I turned, uh, I turned 30. Uh, a couple of weeks ago
2: Congratulations. Um, well,
3: Thank you kindly And um, uh, One of my presents was uh, The Greatest Cases of Sherlock Holmes uh, Which is in a lovely kind of uh, Faux Like that kind of fake rubbery leather cover And it's very nice uh, And to my eternal shame I'd never actually read
2: uh,
3: A Sherlock Holmes story I, I,
2: I haven't either by the way I've been to his house which doesn't make sense to me How can there be a house if he's fictional but I, I've still not read a story And I really want to yeah, I was only... bought the
3: collection two years ago, and I've still not read any of them. Well, this is the interesting thing because the only Sherlock Holmes story I'd ever actually read was um, the Neil Gaiman, uh, oh, uh, A Study in Emerald.
2: Yeah, which mm. is
3: a it was written for a Lovecraftian Sherlock Holmes anthology.
2: Oh, interesting! <laughs> it's kind
3: of it's kind of brilliant actually, and um, uh, and that was the only ref, uh, research I did when I wrote. A Sherlock Holmes story in the first after I think book so um so I feel like a fraud really but uh, <laughs> uh yeah so I'm reading um some Sherlock Holmes and I'm a couple of stories into this anthology uh it's not chronological it just kind of handpicked some of his greatest cases and um the thing I found really interesting is actually how uh, I don't wanna say mundane but how kind of down to earth a lot of them are Right and We're used to Sherlock Holmes, and I think, frankly, because of, like, the recent, you know, the Guy Ritchie movies, which I do actually like, uh, and um, the BBC series, we've come to this idea that Sherlock Holmes now is kind of like a mutant. Yeah. Like, he's basically basically (laughs) Charles Xavier. And uh, when in reality, like, a lot of the cases he's solved so far are... rather simple actually like <laughs> I, I i've been able to see where he's going and i'm not a detective genius but um uh but yeah i, I actually i actually want to do a small reading if that's okay i'm going to be very uh, very literary because <laughs> yeah. it's, only, it's only don't don't worry i'm not going to get Jack and Ori on you it's only um <laughs> it's only a couple of paragraphs but he does have a wonderful uh turn of phrase because old uh arthur conan doyle and um so after this particularly not not especially complex mystery called uh, "The Adventure of the Red-Headed League," which is all about gentlemen with red hair. Uh, it just closed on this little quote where um, Watson just says, "Like, oh, you did a good job, Holmes." You know, and I'm paraphrasing, and uh, Holmes just goes, "It saved me from ennui." He answered, yawning. <laughs> "Alas, I already feel it closing in upon me. My life is spent in one long effort to escape from the commonplaces of existence. These little <laughs> problems help me to do so." And you're a benefactor of the race, said I. That's Watson. That's my Watson voice. He shrugged (laughs) his shoulders. Well, perhaps, after all, it is of some little use, he remarked. L'homme c'est rien, Louvre c'est tout. That's my French accent. As Gustave Flaubert wrote to George Sand. And I I thought, what an ending. (laughs) And I looked at that quote, because I have no idea what Gustave Flaubert wrote to George Sand. And in English, that means the man is nothing, the work is everything wow um, oh, okay that was a really cool and i just like oh wow yeah i can see why these were popular he's uh he's yeah. a good writer he was a good writer old yeah guy. absolutely
2: so so you're you've gone for like a literary sort of idea there uh, my big work is a uh, i got a comic book through the door the other day called bum apple freak show <laughs> and it's like um so about a year ago i got um, uh, a package from a friend. He said "Um, he, it's like a, a list of cut out words and then some instructions that said pick out six of the words and then write a surrealist Dardarist story based around those random words. Um, So I did sort of sent it back to him. And now he's taken it away and he's created this mental anthology of Dardarist stories um, called Bum Apple Freak Show. And it's, uh, it's not available yet. It's going to be five pounds. I think I might get a few and bring them to the link Dan. You know, for the comic con. That'll be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because we haven't got any other comics really, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's just really, really interesting to see how stories, like even without any logic, can kind of work and kind of be funny and interesting. Um, my story in there is about a guy moving to London and meeting a, a pet mustache. Um, there's another story, the bum apple freaker, the t- the, uh, the title story uh i only got halfway through last night but he, he has like an apple tree growing out of his bum and then he starts <laughs> selling and eating the apples off of the tree it, it's it's mental but it's really really cool i'll i'll throw a link to that in the show notes uh so people can check it out but um yeah it's interesting anyway I don't, maybe we maybe we should do one on the show at some point dan get him on we'll write a story off the cuff
3: yes that will be fun kind of like free association
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm
3: getting, I'm getting huskier over here. I'm just going
2: to clear my throat. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry. No, you, it was it was a reading. I thought you were getting into a Benedict comeback sort of <laughs> tone there. Cool. Okay, so John, let's um let's dive into you both figuratively and literally <laughs> and emotionally, I would hope. <laughs> um so I first found Big Punch Studios. I think Niche was on uh, another podcast, the Awesome Comics podcast. And then from there. Sorry, I, I love. Can we call him Niche from now on? That would be fantastic. How do you pronounce his name? Nick. Why do I call him Niche? Is, is it spelled, it's spelled a little <laughs> bit weird. <laughs> oh, we
3: call him all kinds of things. I call him Angle just to annoy him. So, Or Anglepoise, Poise, which has been oddly,
2: oddly <laughs> fitting recently. <reason. laughs> So anyway, niche uh, <laughs> Nick was on the on the podcast, and I just checked out the website. And I was like, "This is very interesting. I like that i have got lots of stuff going up. It's not just one medium." And then I started to look at your Patreon campaign, started to look at the comic books, and I was kind of amazed and blown away by like the variety of stuff you're doing. I mean, how did it all start?
3: Uh, well, that's in- incredibly kind of you to say so, and this is coming from the amazing hawk and cleaver website which i think is <laughs> is truly fantastic uh having having browsed it um but yeah where where did it all begin well um i'll try and keep this concise because i know i have a tendency to ramble but uh back in i always wanted, well long story short i always wanted to make comics hmm. and i had this uh, kind of dream or this idea that the way you made comics was you wrote a script one take that's you know printed it off walked up to a comic convention, waving it above your head and said, I've made, I've made a story. Who wants to, uh, who wants to publish it? And then like, you'd hear like, I, I sir, you know, someone will pop up at the back and it'd be like an auction. And then the next step was success and fame and, and everything. And, um, I just realized rather quickly as a young lad, that just wasn't, I just wasn't going to happen. So I, uh, rather than kind of wait for that magical like fairy godmother effect, I ended up uh, starting to publish a comic myself, which was never my intention. I never set out to be a self-publisher.
2: How old were you at this point? Sorry, oh, sorry, I was saying lad. I was. Uh... I'm, I'm picturing like a, a seven-year-old boy. <laughs> no, no,
3: it's true. I I went to I went to my first convention in 2005, and I was 18 or 19. Okay, cool. and I had the most teenage story you've ever imagined. It was called Dark Force and it was uh shall we say gnarly uh, there were a lot of uh, chains and spikes and angels and demons oh, and
2: sounds radical right it was, right it, was street, it was pretty
3: yeah. it, it was pretty bodacious actually and uh, I wanna I wanna bring it back at some point. I really do. And um but yeah it was like a, it was it was born out of the 90s comics. It was very Joe Mad it was very uh X-Men and uh yeah and i just very kindly i have to say spoke to people and kind of got put in my place and i mean this in the best possible way like i learned you know this is how you do this that, the other but flash forward Skyed making uh, a couple of comics that didn't really go anywhere uh 2007 i had an idea for a comic called afterlife inc which is about a con artist who died discovered an afterlife in chaos then took over and ran it like a business that was 2007 it took me until 2011 to start getting content together because that was like I got a job, I started saving up, I got a bit of money to pay artists, and um, I started touring. I went, uh, I went around a load of conventions in 2011 just as a punter, and mm. this time I was, I was kind of like armed mentally, not not kind of physically, uh, but I was ready. I was kind of like I want to learn this time. I want to go and talk to people, and I didn't go to the publishers such as. There were, there weren't many in the UK. I went to the indie people and I said, you know, the bog standard questions, where did you get a tablecloth? You know, how did you book a table? where do you get these banners from? Who printed your books? And I was putting together some content at this time. And I uh, remember going to a Birmingham convention and stopping by going around the tables. And there was a gentleman called niche, niche angel, <laughs> who was, uh, selling his comic called seven string it's about a world where music is magic and people fight with guitar swords and stuff. And it was really just a passing encounter. There wasn't, you know, it wasn't like this great meeting of the minds, but I remember saying, what's all this about then? And he started, he opened his comic and he showed me this great big double page spread of the gods of this world who were, there were seven gods and each God embodied a different genre of music. There was a rock god, there was a folk god, there was like an uh, electro god. And well, I think that I sw- sounds incredible. I, yes, exactly. And I uh uh this story has morphed over the years, but I I uh, I think I swore at him then and there. I was like, oh damn you. Yeah, I'm, I'm being <laughs> I'm being polite now. I was like, you you swine, that's just such a good idea. Like, I was annoyed at him. And uh bought his book and we parted ways. And then in start of 2012, I actually had a book to sell. I had the first volume of after. I think we went to London super comic Con, uh, and I has got excelling it. my first ever show. And I had no idea how it was going to go, but I saw ni- I saw niche waved at him. <laughs> he bought a copy of my book and I learned after the fact that he'd forgotten me. He had no <laughs> idea. Who, he had no idea who I was that second time around, but I'd written him a really nice email after I bought seven Screen, And I said, Oh, I love your book, man. It's amazing. It's really inspiring. You're doing all this world building. That's kind of what I want to do. And he wrote me a really gushing email after he bought my book. But he didn't remember me. He hadn't kind of put two and two together. <laughs> and then eventually, like it kind of uh clicked. And we were like, oh, hang on. And then we just started bumping into each other at shows, always ended up chatting. Our kind of significant others all met each other. So Ali, Nick's other half, Lucy, my other half. And before it was clear, hit it off because after like the second or third time we we were eating hanging out after a show we were eating sushi and nick just said do you want to come on holiday with us (laughs) it was just really it was this really (laughs) bizarre leap and we ended up going up to um uh like his parents place up in uh yorkshire and we spent like a week just hanging out there
2: you met the parents pretty early on in the relationship then i like it yeah as
3: as you're guessing well you (laughs) see as, as you might you know the subtext you might be able to read between the lines here is that this is the love that dare not speak its name between uh, (laughs) me and niche and and yeah but the four of us just really hit it off and we started you know specifically requesting that our tables be next to each other at shows uh we decided to do a crossover between seven string and after i think which uh we 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 called the heavenly chord and we did it as a joke at first we were like oh wouldn't it be funny if we we took a mick out of the end of Iron Man 2 where they find the hammer out in the desert because Nick's seven-string revolves around the eponymous seven-string, this incredible guitar sword. And uh, we, we, we had a laugh and then we thought, what if we did it? Like, what's actually, <laughs> what's actually stopping us? And we, made, and we made it. That's the incredible thing. And uh, it was, to date, one of the most enjoyable things I've ever done like as a creative project. It was, it was a laugh riot from beginning to end. And I'm still so proud of it as a story. I think it—he said biased, but I think it really works as a standalone. <laughs> but we left it in canon. Mm. That's a thing. Like, literally through the through the events of the story, an item from Nick's world is left behind in mine. That's pretty and cool. And kind of like, well, I I will wrap this up a second because I know <laughs> I've talked like about repetition, hesitation and deviation for like five minutes. But long story short, is we had inadvertently created a multiverse. And the thing that Nick Nick and I had in (laughs) common was that we were both world builders and we both had a big mythology outside the, you know, a couple of stories we published, which tied together our works. And, you know, it may take us, I think we'd each originally planned, if it took us a decade or if it took us 20 years, we would eventually tell all these stories and it would all tie together. And we just decided to merge them. And we're like, why? We've shown that these two worlds are, in a multiversal capacity next to each other. Why don't we do this? And we went from, you know, the heavenly court is what scarred it all. We became a collective. Uh, then we became a limited company. And then we and then we properly just said, like Lucy and Ali are part of this as well, like because they were, They were so much part of this. It wasn't just me and Nick. And then the four of us, we were all storytellers. We all believed in creating these big worlds. And the next thing you know, we're all partners in our own little, our own little company. And it's, I guess uh, the rest is
2: history. It's amazing. I mean, it it's sort of uh, rings true to what my experience has been like with Hawk and Cleaver in the sense of um, it started out as just like a little collective where we'd, we'd read each other's work and stuff like that, and then suddenly became something bigger when we realised that it it's more fun, by like, working with other people generally.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've <laughs> found that completely as well. I was working alone, probably not as long as uh, I think you've been a creative, Luke, but in the last... It must be coming up for a year now that I've been part of Hawk and Cleaver. It's just so nice having people there and being around other people that share what you do and and the processes that you go through. And on a side note, I really want to have that as my LinkedIn sort of uh, update saying something like Daniel Wilcox inadvertently creating multiverses. Or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> put that on your gravestone because that, that's a line
3: to follow you to death, isn't it?
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> I, thank you thank you that's very kind um <laughs> I, I feel that will be the uh i was gonna say something about very poetic there but you know it's both a wonderful and a terrible thing this is what will be hanging over me for the rest of my life okay. now and <laughs> we've often jokes about we're gonna finally wrap up all our stories and we'll all be 70 and uh by no means richer but uh, a lot more wrinkled <laughs> and we'll like, ah it's finally over now now <laughs> the success now we rake in the <laughs> <laughs> now money and bridge <laughs> the next step is profit but I mean, seriously, though, it is, it's a very, I, I mean, like, you know, it, it's wonderful to create stuff, but it can be quite a lonely profession otherwise. And having a few friends just to, even just to share your woes with is, mm. is lovely,
2: you know. What's the, uh, the, the working relationship in the
1: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.
2: And so do, does one of you take on more of like the, the the printing admin type stuff and one of you do social media or how, how do you divvy that up?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, I guess kind of as a kind of grander scope of everything we do now, we publish uh, BPM uh, quarterly. And, and bpm collects uh four titles from that multiverse we've kind of mentioned so it's all tied together it's all bigger things we do our graphic novels we've done our first card game and we do some podcasts so obviously we have enough to keep us busy and of course we all have day jobs like this isn't actually yeah uh, you know uh this isn't actually we're not sitting on our towers of gold yet, yet. Uh, yes 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 it's the thing but um but yeah so uh, how do we divvy it up well i mean we joke about it, but Nick is like our uh, star, I'm sorry, I'm not sporty, our star trisman. Like he's the one who scores the points with the ball. And um, I sometimes feel like we're, oh my God, this is the worst American football analogy ever. <laughs> I think we are the quarterback who is no, throwing the ball so Nick can score. <laughs> so we often like, because Nick draws like so much of our output and because that is incredibly time-consuming, we we feel like we clear as much space as we can so nick can run for the goal so uh, it's basically like if nick can if nick can draw then we've kind of succeeded um it's, but i think it's actually divvied up quite well because lucy is our lucy keeps everyone in check which is wonderful so lucy does uh, writing we co-write me and her co-write uh 99 songs she letters so she letters all our stuff she also uh looks after all our mailing lists and subscriptions so she kind of interacts with our subscribers and patrons and fans uh nick uh does the drawing uh but he's also uh he's also pretty much our convention guy as well like he's pretty good at uh talking with mcm and the shows and booking tables or booths and whatnot uh, ali is our film wizard and our kind of multimedia person. So she's really good at that. And she's also handling our our, our social media as well. So she's getting very, uh, and also like, you know, she's saying, oh, we should try like uh, uh, Pinterest or Imgur and stuff like that. And I'm like, what the hell are these young people (laughs) apps? I don't understand them. (laughs) And um, also Ali is uh, kind of been leading the charge on our gaming side of things as well. So she's talking to gaming publishers and printers about finding uh, a home for Sandwich Masters, which is our card game. And then I guess I guess my role is uh I think I do the majority of the writing. I'm also uh I guess our head editor. Uh I work as an editor in my day job. Uh, I am the king of commas. Like I'm basically just running through everything we write with a comma shotgun and just <laughs> spattering it with that. Uh I write some um, copy for um magazine and uh I tend to tweet and uh, do some facebooking as well and uh, oh yeah and I, I tend to do the finances as well so and at some point we all sleep as well yeah, some i don't point,
2: know yeah i don't know when done th- like does this sound like kind of familiar in the sense of the amount of work that goes into doing something like this because we're we're working day jobs at a minute as well and trying to yeah like, i was up at five this morning trying to get some words in and stuff and uh, you beat me i
0: was half five yeah slacker
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's just but, um, it's, it's the only way to get things done i mean if I, I kind of feel like it's one of those one-on-one makes free kind of situations where yeah. the, the sort of the brands if you could call it a brand is is a lot bigger than when i was working on my own it was so difficult to just get myself out there stay on top of all this stuff but when you've got different people to work and concentrate on different areas it just seems to Uh, multiply the output and and the awareness so much
0: yeah and i think uh i think we're still relatively young we're still in a lot of senses finding our feet with things but we're definitely from how i see it falling into uh patterns and rhythms of who is sort of more suited to what so i mean the way i see it matt's just fantastic at plowing on with gory writing things and he's he's got a bit of a hand at some creepy, creepy design stuff which is incredible. Hmm. Um Ben's pretty decent at the graphic design side and making sort of uh the branding stuff look really, really pretty and nice. Um I'd like to think mine's in um compiling books and a bit of the proofing as well. Uh and then yours is a mixture of audio and video and and writing and kind of everything as well. But yeah, it's it's organically finding its feet in what we do for each other and how we help each other but it's nice to kind of have that advantage of saying to someone oh you're better at this can you do this so for example last night I spent a couple hours putting together Matt Butcher's new book because he's not put anything into print yet or he's not formatted it himself and I've got experience in doing that so happy to help where I can.
2: And if you would do mine as well because I hate doing that stuff. (laughs) Yeah and I'm working on yours next week because I really want to see yours in print just purely
0: because the cover's so beautiful.
2: Oh thank you. Um, so you've got um, I really want to touch on um, Sandwich Masters because it's okay I, I really would love to do some sort of game at some point but I, I don't feel like I game enough to have a uh, a good the edge uh, I, yeah the edge yeah um, well it's
3: consolation I'm not very good at Sandwich Masters <laughs> I don't you... know if that makes it I don't know if that makes it the sign
2: of a good game but I I lose so often at that <laughs> game it's crazy so can you tell us a little, a little bit about what Sandwich Masters is for the listeners um, and where, where the project started and, and how you funded it?
3: Certainly. I mean, it, certainly because I like, clearly love the sound of my own voice. Um, we um, <laughs> we uh, were in a car journey. Uh, one of the many uh, kind of hol- uh, holidays or trips we spent to visit each other back when we were all living in different cities. Because uh, Nick and Ali were down in Salisbury. Lucy and I were in Cheltenham and um whereabouts are Nick? you now sorry just to we're, we're all in Cheltenham okay uh cool. the hub <laughs> the hub of the southwest where everything happens and um but no we were visiting Nick's brother uh who lives down in Brighton and we were very long car journey the four of us were packed in and we were starving we were just like trapped in this car in a car in a traffic jam we were really hungry and we just started riffing on sandwiches like just coming up with nonsense and it was something as simple as Because I mean, I guess I should clarify. Like we we are all gamers, as Mm. in board games. Like we would play so many card and board games all the time. I guess for one sad thing about Big Punch is that we we actually have less time to do that now. We need we need to make more time for it. But we were always playing stuff, and it was a big part of us all getting to know each other. Was just like trying out a new board game, and um, so it was very much on our mind. And we just kind of said, "Wouldn't it like sandwich ingredients are flat?" I You know they're all kind of like two-dimensional uh cards are also two-dimensional we said like what if you were building a sandwich game like a game, and by stacking cards and we just started joking about it we, we and i think the initial idea was we were talking about having health inspectors and you were using like if you use subpar ingredients you'd get in trouble and there'd be a fine but then i had this idea that if you slipped money <laughs> if you put like a put like a 20 pound note in the sandwich and just kind of slowly slid it across the table to the inspector and so yeah, we just started coming up with really stupid ideas, and but we thought it would work. It was one of those kind of like because it's simple. I mean, ultimately, like mm-hmm. it, it's just uh, you're just building runs or kind of like collections. It'd be great. And then like all good ideas, we just we didn't do anything with it. It just kind yeah. of went on back burner. And I remember, um, oh, it was if not a year, then at least six months later. I was um, I was in my day my previous day job where I worked as a school biology technician. And, uh, cause I'm, I'm a biologist by training, uh, oh, okay. not a, not a writer. And, um, <laughs> uh, I just was slacking off and I started thinking, well, hang on, this is maths, like this is basic mathematics working out like sandwich combinations and stuff. So I started browsing the Wikipedia page for sandwiches and there is a list of like a hundred different sandwiches and I started going through them and listing all the ingredients. And if there's one thing I love more than cold Vulcan logic, it's it's Excel spreadsheets. So I built an Excel spreadsheet and I started saying, like, what are the the basic ingredients? So we'd have, like, cheese, ham, egg, lettuce, going on like that. And uh, so I I came up with, like, 20 sandwiches, like famous, you know, real sandwiches, like ham and cheese, that kind of thing. And I thought, okay, so ham and cheese would be two bread cards, one cheese and one ham. And I worked out this mathematical formula, basically saying, like, if we have a deck which is, however many cards this is how much bread we need this is how much cheese and we said this one summer which i think was summer of 2013 we're gonna or maybe later it's all blurring into one now we're gonna <laughs> lock ourselves in a house for like three days over a summer and we're not going to emerge until we have a working prototype of this game so we bought tons of blank white cards from ryman's pencils and we just started scribbling it down and we did nothing but play tests this game and it very quickly evolved and we very quickly scrapped the initial idea of putting money in sandwiches <laughs> but we eventually came up with a working game which uh, was called sandwich masters and the gimmick uh, just to kind of get the gameplay nailed down here is that you uh, have order cards which are dealt onto the deck are uh, dealt onto the table and there's very little uh text on them it's all symbol based and uh, kudos to Nick and Ali here because Nick was able to put all the art elements together and Ali designed and arranged for cards and it looked lovely. But yeah, it's basically just image and image association. So, you know, a sandwich comes down it's called the meat sweats and it's like, you need one of every type of meat. So red cards are meat, yellow cards are dairy, blue cards are condiments and green cards are salad. And then within those, you've got like bacon, ham, chicken, beef, sausage. So you just start building your sandwiches and then you start with bread, You stack up the ingredients, you've got a hand of ingredients, and then when you're ready, you close it and you collect your money. But the catch is, is that every good ingredient has an evil counterpart. So, for example, you have uh, beef, a lovely bit of sliced beef, and you have raw beef, which is a cow. And the idea is that the customer is so hungry, they will eat anything. So the moment you close that sandwich and put the final piece of bread on, you're safe. But... Every moment your sandwich is open and it has evil ingredients in, it means that you are at risk of the health inspector. So if someone plays a health inspector card in front of you and you've got evil ingredients in it, you either have to bribe the health inspector or throw the sandwiches away. And and the final aspect is you have attack condiments, which are uh, ingredients you can play in other people's sandwiches to ruin them. So we all picked one for the original deck and it was uh, glass, Uh, a (laughs) a sneeze a ghost and a lady's silk glove which was my favorite (laughs) and uh yeah and we we found a printer just down the road uh it was not a printer who had ever actually printed a card game before but we actually went for the convenience of having someone three miles from our door at least could get like a prototype made we uh did lots of beta testing with our friends uh we had a big. We booked out a cafe in town, invited about thirty people along, and we said, "Hey, everyone, if you turn up, we're going to be filming some footage of people playing the game, getting feedback." And uh, is this
2: the video on the on the Patreon page? uh,
3: Yes, it is indeed, and which is what we used on our Kickstarter projects as well. And yeah, and it was amazing, and people had a great time, and people just seemed to get it and instinctually and uh, instinctively, instinctively, (laughs) and um, we even roped in. There was like a, a church group who were there who we'd like, we'd ended up filling the top half of this restaurant cafe thing. And they were just kind of marooned in the middle of it by all these random people. And I said, what are you, what are you doing? And I said, oh, we're testing this card game. And they were like, what well, can we play? So we got them in as well and got a oh, few testimonials cool. yeah. from them. And this was all in preparation for our Kickstarter, which we ran last September and successfully funded it. So we were able to do a print run.
2: Is, is, you, how many Kickstarter uh, Kickstarter campaigns have you guys done?
3: I personally have run. Okay, oh, hang on. Right, uh, I've run. I ran two myself before we became Big Punch. Nick ran. Nick ran two himself. Uh, we did Sandwich Maskers, which was our first big punch one and I'm currently running another one at the moment so we've done six between us
2: and uh, what is the success rate on your campaigns oh well I could go I could go into this in great
3: detail but we we've we've succeeded on them all which is nice uh probably the two biggest runaway successes we had were the collected hardback editions we did so I did a I did the book of life which was a hardback collecting volumes one two and three of after I think and that Hit 60% in the first day and was funded in five. So we, I think we made like something like 200. Well, I think we're asking for like three grand. And we made like eight, which was great. Uh, and wow. then we said, but, it, but it's also like um, Sandwich Masters, uh, as an interesting aside, uh, Sandwich Masters was kind of struggling mm. on Kickstarter. And in fact, I could, I could probably talk for hours on this and I'll try not to, but uh, we've noticed that Kickstarter has become a bit. Harder, I would say, in recent years uh, okay. because it's, be- it's become, I don't want to use the word commercial, but it kind of has become a bit more commercial where now you're getting these very polished projects running and they have a whole marketing team behind them. They're by larger companies and it's getting a little harder, I would say, for the guy in his bedroom yeah. running a dream project to make it happen. And as a fine example, Sandwich Masters was struggling. We did quite well in the first week and it slowed right down and we were at you know we we're coming up on our third week and i thought i seriously don't think we're going to make this like it was really slowing down and then out of the blue we woke up one morning and pledges were going through the roof and we couldn't work out what had happened and kickstarter themselves had made us project of the day
2: oh, like great. out of out, yeah. of
3: everything, out of everything on kickstarter and we made more in that day than we'd made in the entire three weeks previous and we ended up uh, going well over our target, and we were able to hit a few stretch goals and print more than we'd hoped for, and do two expansion packs. But it was wonderful. But of course, it's it's, it's a scenario you entirely can't plan for. Like yeah. if Kickstarter hadn't just plucked us out of obscurity, I don't think we would have we would have made it.
2: That's a pretty impressive like strike rate out of all of your campaigns in general. though. I mean, what what do you think is different about your campaigns to other campaigns that might not work so well?
3: Well, I don't know. I mean, I feel I've personally learnt a lot. I remember back when they announced... Because Kickstarter came to the UK. It opened up to UK projects in October 2012, I want to say. And I remember that vividly because we heard it was coming. And a lot of people, a lot of my friends in like the indie comics area, were saying, like, oh, great, I'm going to run a Kickstarter. I'm going to run a Kickstarter. And I'd been... Panicking, like losing my mind, thinking, "How the hell am I going to make my third book? Because it's expensive, you know, mm. paying everyone involved. Because I wanted to pay all the artists involved, and it's a big book. And how am I going to do this? And I thought, could I do a Kickstarter? And I was like, no, no, only only like talented people run Kickstars. Like I'm never going to be able to do this. And I thought, but I thought, like, why not? Like I'm no, like my case is no more or less worthy than anyone else's. I should give it a shot. So expired by everyone, all my friends who talked about it, I started putting a project together. And I launched it on the day that UK projects went live. It went live, I think, on Halloween 2012. And everyone who'd been talking about doing it hadn't got round to it yet. So I ended up being the joint first UK comic project on Kickstarter, wow. along with uh, Kay Ashwin, who does this amazing webcomic called Widdershins.
2: And, uh, yeah, I think I've heard of editions. yeah.
3: Oh, yeah, Kate's amazing. Like, you know, she she just she does a Kickstarter every year for the collected edition of a webcomic every year, and she just utterly domin- dominates <laughs> every year. So she's got that down. Uh, but, yeah, I, I completely made a mess of my rewards when my first Kickstarter. Like, it was a real – I completely structured it wrong. I thought to myself, what rewards can I give people? And I was like, I can give people badges, It'd be like a little blister pack of five badges, uh, seven badges, all the main characters. I could give people a print. And I thought, oh, print is better than a badge. So I should tear that above the badges. And then I thought I can do people a t-shirt and I thought, well, a t-shirt is better than a print. So I'll, I'll put that above that. And then I thought, and I can give them a book and the book is better than a t-shirt. So I structured my rewards completely the wrong way around. So if you wanted a book, which was re- which would retail at like 12 quid. You had to pledge like 50 quid and I got you could book, a t-shirt, a print and a badge. And I'd already, it was only, I was a few days in and people were like, Hey, um, I just want the book. Do I have to get all this other junk? And I was like, Oh no, what have I done? And I couldn't go back in and change
2: it. Oh no. It's because
3: once, once people had pledged to a reward, you can't adjust it. So a couple of people had very kindly uh pledge for like you know the t-shirt and everything and i thought oh man i have i've really shot myself in the foot here and that first kickstarter was so stressful like i it's a bit of a recurring thing where i fall ill every time we run a kickstarter <laughs> I developed
2: the kickstarter
3: oh no joke i developed uh, labyrinthitis after um that first it's... kickstarter i was i was so stressed and uh, i was ill for months afterwards
2: i'm still trying to think if that's a real thing <laughs> So why is, why
3: is oh, uh, it, I, I got like I just I was running myself ragged. And I got so stressed and kind of down that I got uh, an inner ear kind of viral infection, and uh, my head wouldn't stop spinning for months. Is that I was a, off work?
2: That's called labyrinthitis.
3: Yeah, because it's a little bit of your ear called the labyrinth, and it becomes inflamed. And uh, that's so where the Minotaur lives, Luke. Yeah, course, I basically yeah. had a small ball-headed man running around the inside of my ear, <laughs> David <and>, Bowie. <Berry>. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I was tormented by visions of uh, David Bowie's uh, <laughs> uh, tight, tight trousers in uh, yeah. in London. And uh, yeah, so um, I completely made a mess of it. And somehow we we limped home and we actually we actually made it. And uh, just about it was a real struggle. And I was in very much de- dependent on the kindness of my family and friends. But we made it. And I I swore that I would never make those mistakes again and I would have a much better run campaign the next time around.
2: That's amazing. What would you
3: say your main three takeaways were from? I mean, all
0: your kickstarts combined. What would be three key things that you know listeners can listen to if they were interested in a
3: Kickstarter that they could take forward on theirs? Oh, certainly. Um, I think. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Uh, hit the ground. Hit the ground running. So, do not tell people that you are running a Kickstarter on the morning you launch it. Mm. So I say you want to have at least a, a utter minimum two weeks promotion beforehand. Like okay. you want to be telling people you want to be writing to review sites. You want to be running articles before it goes live. This is very important. They need to know to come and pledge because Kickstarter is less about your overall goal and less about how much you make regard uh, versus how quickly you make it. So perception of success is pivotal. So case in point, there is a project running at the moment for a comic. And I glanced across and I saw that it is 1,739% funded. Wow. Which is your immediate reaction. You go, Oh, flipping egg! this must be the best project in the world. I should go back it right now because it's selling like hotcakes. And I looked at it again, and I looked closer, and I was like, how much money have they raised? And they've raised £1,739. Oh, So they set a target of £1. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. So so perception of – but this is the thing. like, If you hit your target earlier, you will get more money overall. Mm. Because because no one wants to back uh, a horse, which they think is going to lose. So – if you can get the funding in very quickly and secure your target nice and early then that's grand because you will people will look at a successful project and think oh if i pledge 10 quid to that it's a sure bet that it will get made and i will make and i will get a nice uh, reward yeah uh, it. so, it's that whole
2: social proof isn't it one of people yeah. seeing it doing well they want a bit of the action but uh oh, absolutely
3: uh no entirely. and uh on that end i would also recommend having as a kind of like a junction to that i would recommend having um early bird rewards so a reason to get people kind of pledging earlier so say like uh the book is worth a tenner uh early bird rewards the first 20 people to get in there can get the book for like eight quid or seven quid or something like that or you know it's 10 quid but you'll also get a nice hat or something like that you know reasons to get people pledging early um uh, so, yeah, I guess that was one point. Uh, I guess another point is really, really, really do, do the math, as they say, because it is not a magic wand. It will not solve all your problems. And um, uh, like I, I love Excel. I love Excel spreadsheets. I ran so many Excel spreadsheets. And I was looking at the book I'm currently funding. Uh, I've actually funded half a book myself. Entirely separate from Kickstarter. Like I'm thinking, like I've put all I've put my money in. I'm hoping that people can help us go the rest of rescue way because it's taken me two years to get that money together to get to, make,
2: yeah.
3: to get there. And um, but I was looking at it, and I looked at if I tried to run a Kickstarter to fund the entire the entirety of the project, like all the money I needed to pay the artists, the print costs, uh, Kickstarter's admin fees, and then I looked at the unit price of one book. I would have had to give away more books than I was printing to hit the target.
2: Right. If that, okay. makes any, yeah. if that makes any yeah. sense.
3: So uh, you've really got to look at your numbers. I mean, there's so many horror stories of people who are very creative, but never sat down and thought, how do I run this as a business? How do I, do yeah. I have it in me to fulfill 3000 orders? when yeah. that comes about." I've, I mean, you don't want to, you know, be massively successful, make millions on Kickstarter and then go, right, I need to find a printer
2: or, you know,
3: right. I need to find uh, a manufacturer or something like that. So yeah, be prepared. exactly. Yeah. And um, of course, remember that Kickstarter will take 11% of whatever you make as well. That's how they make their money. So, you know, factor that in as well.
2: um, Uh, Do you, and I guess you've got to pay tax as well on that once it's in to your bank.
3: Uh a degree of that is processed by, uh, well, yeah, I mean, Kickstarter covers some of the admin and, and tax fees on their end. But, yeah, of course, when whatever you make at the end of it, you will have to declare yeah. in your own tax returns and stuff. Yeah. And um, so I guess, sorry, I, I'm, oh, God, I love the sound of my voice. I'm sorry, I'm a terrible <laughs> it's, this. Uh, it's
2: very lovely. So I don't it's mind. better than oh, a like...
3: yeah. yeah. Well, it's very kind of you. Uh, well, I will try and wrap this up. So it was hit the ground running, uh, run the numbers beforehand. And um try try and get your target as your funding goal is, as kind of low as possible, which I I know is a weird thing to say and I know it sounds a bit counterintuitive, but if you have two projects running side by side on Kickstarter, uh that both to make say a 50-page comic, if one project is trying to raise three grand. And another project is trying to raise 15 grand. If they both make three grand, the lower target one is going to seem more successful. Yeah. So really think about your target and does it need to be as big as it is? Because we, uh, with sandwich maskers, we made uh, a calculated risk to try and print less. So we said, what, what kind of, what size print run do we go for? Do we go for, you know, X amount, or do we go for X times two? And if we go for X times two, we're going to need a higher Kickstarter target. It's going to be harder to hit. The perception will be that it's a slower project. But if we go for a smaller print run, we have less money to raise. Every backer is a, is a larger percentage of our target. And there we might succeed. We might hit it quicker and we might go over, which means we might be able to hit our second target with stretch goals. So think about that.
2: Great right. it's uh we are going to be doing a, a Kickstarter campaign at some point, so it's good to good to know um just well, to, just yeah. to check uh Dan, how are you doing for time on your side because it's going to be uh, one of our longer episodes uh
0: yeah, I'll well, we'll have to shoot off soon. But I'm all right for a couple of minutes. oh good
2: grief. I'm so sorry guys'm uh, we'll, no, we'll, sorry worse. we'll have to get you back on for an episode too because um there's still a lot, yeah. a, a, a lot I really want to sort of ask you, like your podcast, for example, would be interesting to see. Because you've got like four or five, haven't you? There seems to be quite a few.
3: Oh well, uh, well, thank you. That's very kind. I mean, uh, uh, quantity does not equate to quality. <laughs> I <say>. like, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, we we uh, it got a bit kind of derailed this year, if only because I've been quite ill for the last six months. Um, but uh, we're getting back on it now, and we have a wonderful organisational app which has revolutionised the uh, everything we do. So we now have reminders when we need to record them and I've, <laughs> I've been steadily improving my podcast rig so we've now got quite a lean little system which um we can pop up and record at any moment so
2: great um so I feel you
3: are putting me to shame though with the general production levels and uh I, of don't yours,
2: so. I don't know i mean it's um you pick things up as you go i guess i don't know <laughs> That's a, it's a very hard thing say again
0: and you drop things, I can't remember the last time I slept, so...
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so what what we'll probably do then, if it's okay with John, um, we'll make this episode more about the Kickstarter campaigns, and then we'll get on for part two where we'll talk about Patreon and uh, 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 Big Punch magazine and that kind of thing. Does that sound okay, John, to you? Sounds amazing,
3: thank you, yeah. Great. Right.
2: So what we'll do now then, we'll, we'll jump straight into the quick fire round. Cue the little jingle there. Quickly, please. Um and dan have you got your questions up in front of i've you? got them in front of
0: me yeah they all the ones from slack yeah
2: yeah so uh john we're gonna shoot a load of short questions you just say whatever comes to your mind don't worry it's nothing too serious but um are you ready that's fine i'm guessing you'd like slightly shorter answers than some of my previous ones you've got five seconds per answer fine <laughs> let's go. <do it. laughs> okay dan uh from the slack list then you go first Cool.
0: Last thing you do before you go to bed?
2: Uh, cry. Arnold or Sylvester?
3: Uh, Arnold. <laughs> Cheese or yogurt? Both. Favorite word? Um. Uh. Oh um, <laughs> my life. It's uh, a difficult one. Is Oh, oh no, no. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, okay. Uh, quite like yeah. No, no. <laughs> Don't stop it. Cue countdown jingle. Favorite book oh good grief um angel maker by nick harkaway favorite film oh uh, pontypool what makes you smile uh so much actually i keep wanting to be depressed but actually <laughs> I, I find i find a lot of humor in, in in weird things
2: uh itchy and scratchy or pinky and the brain Itchy and scratchy sauron or voldemort oh sauron <laughs> uh, shakespeare or wheaton is this, are we talking about Will Wheaton then? Or... Will
3: Shakespeare or Will Wheaton? Wil <laughs> Wheaton, uh, sh- sh- uh, Shakespeare, I guess.
2: Okay, awesome.
3: cool.
0: Great. Can I also, uh, um, can, yeah. I, can I say as well, so in our list of when we were coming up these questions, uh, Luke <laughs> followed several of these questions with, what do you reckon? And I was genuinely about to just ask you,
3: what do you reckon? You see, I like that, it gets quite deep. So what, <laughs> what do you reckon? I think we've we proven a... that we can go pretty deep on these. Oh no! You're saying like cheese or yogurt. Like I, if I can't build a small house out of my cheese, I'm not touching it. But the rest of uh, the rest of Big Punch we're talking about, oh like Lunchables and kind of like liquid liquid cheese and little crispy <laughs> straw things. And nothing repulses me more. Like, it's just oh.
2: what about uh, <laughs> uh, cottage cheese? Do you like a little. Yeah. No, it's a confused yoghurt. <laughs> it's not really. <laughs> Confu- it is it's a confused yoghurt. That's the best like, description of cottage cheese. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay, cool. So uh, we're going to have to wrap up pretty soon. So, John, where do you want people to go after listening to this show? I'm guessing the Kickstarter campaign, right?
3: I've got, I've got to say right now, if I'm being shameless, I would love people to go to Kickstarter and look up, after I think, Volume 4, Man Made God.
2: Cool. And um, there's a, a pledge on there where which I've gone for, which is one where you get all four of the volumes. Is that right? Yes, indeed.
3: Yeah, because uh, this is for obviously the fourth volume. And if you just if you pick up the book, you'll get digital copies of all the previous ones. But we also done options where you can complete your collection, so you can get two books, three books, four books, whatever
2: you want. Great. Perfect. Um, Dan, yeah. What about you? Where do you want to send people? Uh, send people to we've got the new
0: volume of the other stories starting on Monday, which is exciting. And the print version of the uh of season seasons volumes four to six is coming out uh in the next few days, so
2: that's exciting. Cool, that by the time this podcast goes live, I'm sure that'll be that out, They then, will so. be out, yeah. So I'll link that in the show notes and yeah, uh, just go to the website hogancleaver.com and we'll get John on as soon as possible because i've got loads more questions for him i'm gonna be like the bad penny i'm just
3: gonna be turning up
2: all the time (laughs) cool uh all right guys yeah nice one let's uh let's reconvene thank you for having me it's been an absolute pleasure no cheers thank you very much thank you very much john take care man cheers guys
3: we hope you enjoyed this episode of the story studio podcast still hungering for some podcast goodness? Then why not check out our other show, The Other Stories. Oh, and did you know, every time you leave us a review in the iTunes store, a puppy is born. Cute
0: eh? Anyway, toodlepip.